This episode of Trapital is brought to you by Primary Wave. In 2021, the Luther Vandross estate partnered with Primary Wave, which acquired a stake in the late singer's publishing, master recording income stream, and name and likeness rights. And to quote Luther, the results have been so amazing. The Vandross catalog saw a 38% increase in music streams in 2023. The estate also partnered with Waterford to release an exclusive crystal collection of fine collectibles. Vandross's new EP, the Luther Vandross Classic Christmas, boosted his older Christmas songs by a thousand percent this past holiday season. And this month, January, the estate authorized documentary on Vandross's life, Never Too Much, will make its world premiere on January 21st at Sundance. There are many places to sell your music rights, but few can actually show you strong results. From Whitney Houston to James Brown to Luther Vandross, Primary Wave is the home of legends whose legacies live on. To learn more, go to primarywave.com. That's P-R-I-M-A-R-Y-W-A-V-E.com. So you got the the gecko over here. You got the Aflac duck. You got um, the guy from Wayne X Hill who does all state. You got Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> Dennis Haysbert. There you go. Shout out to Dennis Haysbert. Hey, welcome to Trapital. I'm your host, Dan Bruncey. This is your place to gain insights on the business that shapes music, media, and culture. We dive deep into the companies and moguls who start the trends that shape the rest of the business world. You can't talk about the business of culture without talking about the impact of advertising. And one of the biggest categories for advertising today is the insurance industry. That's right. This is an industry that is a mandatory product, a product that is quite unsexy, quite commoditized, but each brand has found some way to get more and more brand awareness through the creative characters and slogans and jingles that it's had over the years. And today we're going to talk about one of those campaigns, which is State Farm's Chris Paul and Cliff Paul campaign. This campaign is now over 10 years old, which is crazy to think about, but we're going to talk about its impact why it worked in the time that it did, and we're going to talk about it with someone who was one of the minds behind this campaign, Dr. Marcus Collins. You've heard him on this podcast before. We most recently talked about McDonald's and the campaign that his agency, White and Kennedy, had done there. But this time, we're going to talk about his work in translation and the work that they did with Chris Paul and Cliff Paul and talk about why this worked, why it was so timely, and how it informed other advertisement campaigns in the category, in other insurance areas, even with State Farm itself, with advertisements we now see like Jake from State Farm and others. But what can it inform with artist partnerships, entertainment partnerships, and how these lessons learning can be transferred elsewhere across the industry. So come join us as we take a deep dive into insurance and how this has become the dominant platform to see some of the biggest advertisement campaigns that we see. It's wild to think that it's been well over a decade since we first saw State Farm's Chris Paul and Cliff Paul ad, but we're going to talk about it with someone that was behind the genius of this advertising campaign and its impact. Friend of the show, Dr. Marcus Collins. Welcome back, man. And thanks for having me, Dan, man. This is about to be a good one. I love this campaign. I love the context in which it came about, and I just feel so grateful to have been a part of it. So let's just dig in. 
This is a topic that is near and dear to me because I started my career in insurance. As you know, I worked for one of the biggest insurance companies in the country, Travelers Insurance. This was an industry where the advertising has also evolved quite a bit. You go back to the 70s and 80s, and the advertising for insurance was so much more to the point where they were selling you on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I think back to this classic commercial from the 1970s, I want to say, and John Travolta was in the commercial and he's walking through talking about how his father had passed away. And if you pass away and you don't leave your kids with anything, then they're going to end up working at some deli shop in town and then they're going to be running everything themselves. It was one of the funniest things that I've seen Now in the 21st century, things have completely flipped because I felt like growing up, especially think about the big sporting events like Super Bowls, it was always the beer commercials that were the lead advertisers in the space. But now in the 21st century, it's the insurance commercials. I mean, tons of fear mongering in the 1970s, 1980s, um, because a lot of a lot of it, again, the the regulations and insurance made it difficult for insurers to sort of differentiate themselves. So it really became who could scare you the most, right? And all of them were sort of in service of the category. The idea was that if you don't have life insurance, then you're going to screw your family. So don't screw your family, have life insurance. Or if you don't have auto insurance, you're going to screw yourself. Considering that we all had to have life have to have have to have auto insurance if you're driving because it's it's an, an obligation here in the country. So you had built-in audience. And the idea was that the industry was sort of fighting over which people would go where, right? Same, there's only a finite amount of people in the market. It grows every year as you know more people come of age to drive, but ultimately it wasn't a ton of growth in the market beyond just you know birth rate growth. Um, and otherwise, you're just kind of chopping up the of the of the category. So auto insurers had to find ways to sort of uh, subvert the the rest of people in the category, the competition. So it became who can scare each other the most. Until of course, Geico, right? Which uh, which was a government. Uh, a government insurer for its employees, right? I think the actual acronym is Government Employee Insurance Co., right? So it was employing, it was uh, providing insurance for its employees. And uh, uh, and it realized that the only way it was going to grow was to do more marketing communications, right? To do more advertising. Um, and one of its largest shareholders uh, who actually became the owner was Warren Buff- Buffett. And he goes, hey, man, look, you know, I can't grow the market for you. I can't give more people to drive, but I can certainly give you more money to to get a bigger, a bigger slice of the pie. So they just went ham on their marketing communications to try to, you know, still share. And the gecko became sort of the face of its of its marketing communications as a way to differentiate itself in its distinctive assets, but also um in, in its in its value proposition that we can get quotes to you faster than anyone else, fifteen minutes get you fifteen percent or less, and that that mnemonic became uh, sort of a sticking power for the brand and really changed the industry in really drastic ways. It's so key because you have a commodity product 
that's also a mandatory product for most people to have in some type yeah. of way. So like you said with the Buffett quote, you can't grow the market, but how do you increase the strength that a brand can have from an awareness perspective that can lead to sales? And I saw a stat doing some research before this. In 2002, right before Geico had started those ads, they were eighth in brand awareness as it came to auto insurance. And by 2022, they were second only to State Farm, which is the company that we're going to talk about today. So these advertising campaigns make a huge difference. And I could even think back to my time at Travelers because when we were there, I was early 20s, under 25, historically one of the riskiest assets of people to insure. But for our age demographic, most of the people that were in my leadership development group we often had Geico or Progressive, the companies that actively targeted the younger yeah. audiences with their advertising, but also with the race that they had that were much more competitive than a company like Travelers, which we work for, which was much more after the higher end consumer that is going to have the family of four, five, or six and have an umbrella insurance policy, hence the Travelers umbrella logo That's and things yeah. like that. So it was interesting to see that both anecdotally with our experience, but it really did carry through and connecting with younger audiences is part of the attraction of these campaigns. That's right. And, and what's wild, I mean, not only is insurance a commodity, but it literally is parity. Like, you know this, Dan, because you worked in the space that every insurer works with the exact same actuaries. Like they legally have to work with the exact same actuaries. So they can't say that our insurance is better than someone else's because they're literally the same product offering. However, they can differentiate on how fast they can get you a quote, 15 minutes because you're 15% or less, um, how their customer service might be better, how you're in better hands because people care about you, right? And these things, I mean, they're all very small in their differentiation. These are, these are shades of, of, of difference. So you have to find some way to really distinguish yourself from the pack, right? So you're not sort of just bound to the industry, but that you really stick in people's heads. And that was a, a big learning for me as I learned this industry working on State Farm, I think that the, the, the research showed that um, that recall is the most powerful driver for people to get a particular brand, right? So recall that people can remember you, like people know you, um, that that's one of the biggest drivers to, to people getting insurance or picking a company is that the more recall they have, the more likely they are to pick you up. So these mnemonics became so important. 15 minutes gets you 15% or less. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Which, by the way, a little factoid, uh, Barry Manilow wrote the theme song to State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Right? It That's used to be like dope. a little surfy kind of ballad that, that Barry Manilow wrote. But, you know, Aflac, uh, that's all state stands. Uh, are you are you in good hands? Uh, we are farmers, pop, 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 pop. Like all these mnemonics were, were used so that people could recall you quickly so that when they're in need of insurance, they're thinking about leaving their insurance company, you come to mind, right? It just became uh, uh, the biggest factor in whether or not you get chose. And then by the early 2010s, these campaigns are in full steam. We see the growth from the early 2000s, the impact of the Geico's and all those companies 
And at that point, every company, at least on the personal insurance, home and auto side, has a jingle. They have a spokesperson. They have a flashy commercial, and they're spending in the Super Bowls and all the big campaigns. So let's talk about State Farm now specifically, because where are they? Where is that company before translation gets involved? Because obviously, this Chris Paul, Cliff Paul campaign that we're going to talk about is very different than a lot of these others. But where was State Farm before this? Let's set the stage a bit. So State Farm was, they've always been sort of the, the biggest player in the category, right? Um, always been the biggest player in the category, but because of these new dynamics in the world of insurance, i.e. advertisers jumping in, create these new mnemonics, the, not only were you getting more competition, but the competition was encroaching on share, right? You had Geico shooting through the roof, all state trying to find their, their, their standings, farmers trying to find their standings. And, and State Farm has been doing the old stodgy advertising, right? At, at best, if it wasn't about scaring you, it was about saving money. Cheap, 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 right? Um, and as a result, State Farm found themselves on their heels, Saying that we 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 might be in trouble here. We own the 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 standing at the moment, but we might be in in bad shape. Not only because there were more mnemonics, more saturation in the market getting people's attention, but also these providers um, had lower overhead than State Farm, and then State Farm was the most expensive offering in most cases, right? And that's only because they were less risk tolerant, right? They were more risk averse and therefore their policies were more expensive because they weren't giving people the, the, you know, the, the lower actuaries, right? So that was a choice that they made to be a premium. And what they realized was that the Geico's, the all states, in many cases, these folks didn't have like a physical, a physical uh, uh, location, right? And the way State Farm's business works is they're, they're, they're like a franchisee. Right. There are people who like I'm a State Farm agent and I'm essentially uh, an independent contractor. Right. I am an entrepreneur. I buy into the State Farm moniker. Right. But I'm running my own business. And that's how State Farm's business were able to scale. You bring more people in, you franchise the brand, and now you got people who are sort of acting on your behalf. But while State Farm is looking at the advertising landscape change, they realize that not only as the national brand were they sort of in the the stone ages with regards to their market communications, but also that the agents were so heterogeneous in the way in which they went to market. Some agents were pretty good in the way they ran their business, the way they projected their business to the world. And some of them were like ambulance chasers. Like it was like, hey, like you, you know, you broke an arm, call us. You know, it was really, really bad. It's not, you know, and it's not aligned to what the brand wanted. But considering the way their business is set up, they could not cut bait on those folks, nor could they control them. So what was uh, what was an advantage to their competitors that were now gaining steam, this low overhead of being a call center as opposed to a physical location, but also having uniformity in the way the product went, the, the product performed in the market. These were, these were barriers for State Farm. So when they came to translation, the question was, uh, what do we do? <laughs> like help. And not only are we having struggle from more competition, but our business model is actually uh, is becoming an impediment to us to compete with our product offering. Not just the way we communicate, but actually what we are. And you know, and we said to them that, like, well, maybe you should think about your impediment, your quote unquote, your weakness 
as a strength. Call to mind, which you know well, Dan, uh, that old uh, case study about Avis, right? Avis was getting beat by Hertz over and over again. They always came number two. So what did Avis, Avis said? Well, we're going to own number two is that because we're number two, we work harder. And that became the differentiator. Like you use your weakness, quote unquote, your weakness as your core differentiator, as your strength. And that positioning for State Farm meant you have agents. You can't cut bait on them. It may be a, a lower, a higher overhead for you, and it may require, uh, you know, more sort of uh, uh, more facilitation of these pieces. But what if we use them as our superpower? So the idea was make the agent super magical, and we came up with this campaign called the Magic Jingle. So you'd say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, and the agent will show up. Hey, Dan, what do you need? You go, I need some help with this. And the agent goes, I got you, no worries. And the idea was that State Farm, like that magic, magical agent you see in the advertising, that's how State Farm works. Anywhere you want it, uh, 3,600 uh, or, or 36,000 uh, agents across the country, call them whenever, they'll be right there. Not like those other people with the call center, we're going to show up for you in a magical way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And that differentiator, not only uh, became very distinctive for the brand, but also that advertisement became the mnemonic. And it was interesting when the first when the ads first ran. I think this was like 2010. I want to say maybe 2011 uh, when the ads first started running. You know, people started using the language in their vernacular. We saw like tons of tweets. It was in it was in rap songs. People were like, "Yo, like you know, like a good neighbor, I show up like State Farm." Like you know, it was just it was un, you know, unbelievable. Right. And, you know, we, it was this one one spot. I think the first spot we did um, was a guy with his with his roommates and he goes, can I get a hot tub? And a hot tub shows up. And we saw so much of that in in tweets and in, in Facebook posts at the time. And, and the relevant to State Farm became far more congruent with contemporary America because the brand became sort of cool. And it's mnemonics. It became a part of the cultural zeitgeist and for an industry that requires so much heavy lifting from recall, this was unbelievably powerful for the brand. I think that in many ways lays the foundation for what then comes with Chris Paul and Cliff Paul. Exactly. So it went 1000%. That is the the antecedent to all the the, the work um, that we now know of State Farm and really sort of changing how brands uh, interact with different leagues like like the NBA. Um, so so we, we do these campaigns and actually a little factoid translation got in at State Farm thanks to LeBron James. LeBron James got tapped by State Farm, endorsed by, by, by uh, he became an endorser for State Farm. Um, and LeBron James was like, hey, you got to meet my guy, Steve Stout. And he got Stout into the door to do the the magic jingle at with State Farm, with um with LeBron. I don't know if you remember it. He gets into an accident. With, well, his buddy like crashed to a car back out the driveway. And like they're they're arguing. And LeBron goes, like the neighbor State Farm is there. And his agent shows up. He goes, like, what's up, LeBron? He's like, tell him whatever. Right. And he's like, you know, I'm playing like the smallest violin for you. I can't remember the 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 joke, but that was kind of that was that was the idea. So we, we run these magic jingle spots and they're 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 doing really well. State Farm's like, yo, this is really working. Let's do more of it. That opened the door to us having the conversation with State Farm about the NBA. 
because they were spending a ungodly sum of money uh, to be a, an official sponsor of the NBA. And the, the idea was that, well, if we're in, if we're we're at the NBA during the games, you see the logo, um, you know, during the during the games that we rerun our spots, like we we're we're wrapping jumbotrons, we're we're you know wrapping backboards, we're all over the place, right? We're in all the step and repeats. And the notion was that this is going to be recall driven. And and I think it's important to know that we were doing when I was learning about the industry with State Farm, I found that not only is recall sort of the biggest driver of acquisition, but also that people only report accidents about 25 to 35% of the time, which is wild, right? Like, which means 65 to 75% of the time, people never call their insurance provider when they're in an auto accident. And the idea is that if I call my insurance provider, my premium is going to go up. So what does most people, most people do when they get into an accident They say, just give me your information. I'll give you my information. And then we'll just go from there. We won't even include the insurance uh, provider, which is a problem for the insurance company who's been making these promises that we will be there for you when you need us. We will come and rescue you. And if you never call them or 75% of the time, you don't even call them to rescue you. You never experience the promise of the brand. So what happens? As soon as you get your bill, you go, why do I spend so much money with this company? There has to be a cheaper option. 15 minutes gets you 15% or less. I'm calling Geico, right? So State Farm found themselves in this, this issue that, wow, like we have to find more ways to drive recall. We have to find more ways to be more relevant for people considering the truths of the industry. And now we're we have this 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 challenge in front of us. We have the NBA sponsorship, which you go great NBA. Let's just do this. But then you ask yourself, what in the world does an insurance company have to do with basketball, right? And all the money that State Farm was investing in the NBA wasn't being realized. They weren't getting more uh, policy acquisitions. There wasn't a retention happening on policy owners because of the NBA, at least what we knew of the attribution. There wasn't any real tie. Uh, but more importantly, people didn't even realize that State Farm was there, pardon the pun. It was like, oh, State Farm sponsors the NBA? Oh, I guess. Because they were all just wallpaper in many ways. So the question became, so how do we make State Farm have a rightful uh, place, some authority, some uh, authority to be a part of the NBA. So we asked ourselves, what does this brand believe? We know what it does. It provides auto insurance and financial services to folks, but why does it do it? Like, how, what's the conviction? How does it see the world? And we just started to kind of comb through, you know, the archives. And what came, what was a, a constant refrain here was that State Farm believes in helping people live life more confidently every day. That was it to help people live life more confidently every day. And they do that by having 36,000 or 18,000 expert agents around the country, help people whenever they need it. Right. Um, And they so happen to provide these financial services. Let's take a break for this week's chart metric stat of the episode. State Farm's Jake from State Farm spokesperson is not just popular in commercials, but in music too. 
That name, Jake from State Farm, is the song title for at least 15 different songs that are currently available on music streaming platforms. And one of the most notable ones is from Salem Elise, an artist with over 5.3 million monthly Spotify listeners. And her song, Jake from State Farm, has been streamed over 359,000 times on Spotify and viewed over 188,000 times on YouTube. It's always impressive to see how these things continue to live on. Let's get back to the episode. State Farm helps people. <laughs> like, wait a minute, there's an actual statistic in the NBA for helping people called the assist. Let's just go after that. Like that provides us so much uh, uh, authority. It's an invitation for us to be a part of the NBA in a very authentic way. So let's go after the assist. And the interesting part about the assist is that just like insurance, assists aren't sexy. Like people don't watch ESPN for the assist of the week. No, not, not at all. Right. There's nothing cool about the assist, much like one would argue there's nothing cool about insurance, but it's necessary. So that was the way in strategically bet. We're going to go after the assist. Well, who owns the assist on the court? In most cases, unless LeBron James plays in your team, <laughs> the point guard owns the assist on the court. So now the math just starts to math. It gets really simple. And like at least the, the linearity of the strategy becomes simple. All right, well, let's go after the assist and we'll find a way to engage the point guard. And at the time, this is 20... Uh, 11 going into the 2012 season. Um, the biggest point guard, no, sorry, this is 2012 going to, to 2013 season. The biggest point guard in the league is Chris Paul, without a doubt. This is peak lob city point god. He's in his thing with the Clippers. Post, yeah, this, this is, is post Olympic gold, which they just murdered the Olympics, right? This is this is. This is during the blackout of the NBA that year. Remember, we had a late season started in November, and he was the player associate association president. He was the guy, beloved guy, right? His nose super clean. He's like so brand safe, and he's so awesome. He's so personable, and we go awesome. That's the guy we're gonna work. We're gonna work with Chris Paul, and here's how like the linear logic is happening. So while some of the ideas are are, are coming together. The idea was like, well, what if we made Chris Paul a State Farm agent who's magical? I was like, well, that doesn't really sort of work together. And I can't remember who came up with it. I know that this I was a part of the discourse that this started to, to happen. But that, well, what if we came up with a rumor, a story? And it was this. Then when Chris Paul is playing on the court at the what was then uh, the Staples Center, there's a guy who looks just like him walking around LA who has a mustache looks just like him, but he wears a mustache and glasses. And the notion was this Chris Paul was separated at birth from his twin brother, Cliff Paul. Chris Paul goes on to be an all-star NBA point guard who dishes out assists. And Cliff Paul goes on to be an all-star state farm agent who dishes out assists as well. And the the marketer in me just exploded because in my mind I said this is my version of doing the Blair Witch Project, which for me is my favorite campaign of all time. 
And I said, this, we're going to Blair Witch Project this thing. We're going to make people believe that this thing is real. We're going to see a rumor and we're going to create all the, all the, 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 the trappings to signal that this is a real thing. People are going to buy into it and they're going to talk about it. And they're talking, the discourse, the rhetoric about this thing will serve as the mechanism to drive recall on behalf of the brand. So we're going to take the media that we will use to promote State Farm's insertion into the NBA and use this as a way to create cultural discourse that drives recall in a really powerful, sticky way. Because around this time, you started seeing Reddit posts of people actually wondering, was this a real person? Is this actually some long lost twin brother? It was it was fascinating to see the discourse about it. And it makes me think back too about the other point you mentioned about multi-million dollar wallpaper that a lot of these brands can often have, because I think some of this still exists today. I recently had some oatmeal from one of the bigger companies. I forget which one it was, which is probably part of the challenge. And they said that they were the official oatmeal of the NFL. And I would have had no idea about that if I didn't see that on the label. And you think about how much these companies pay to be the official X of whether it's a particular team or a particular league, the leagues charge an exorbitant amount for that as they should. But what do you actually do with that? And the assist thing makes a ton of sense. And he was the perfect person to do it with. And it's one of those things where you're able to kind of ride the wave because thinking around that time too, Darren Williams was also a top name in the league in terms of point guards, but his career didn't last nearly as long from a peak level playing perspective as Chris Paul. So who knows what that would have been like? So you have the perfect thing where you pick the right person to do it and you have the campaign. And I think it really took off from a creative perspective because you started to see more and more people talk about it. And I do think that that opened up the gates further for just more and more creative advertising campaigns that we saw from State Farm over the years. I mean, it was wild because you, to your point, you know, what does it mean to be the official oatmeal of the NBA? Okay. Like it, it, it doesn't mean anything, right? It, it means nothing. And the idea in this was how do we give the brand meaning inside of the context of the game? Because if we were the official insurer of the game, okay and the ads were someone hurt themselves state farm got your back like it was like that would felt so performative it would have felt so trite and we wanted something that had much more meaning to it so to your point we wanted to get the discourse happening realizing that marketers don't make meaning people do we signal meaning and the idea in signaling meaning is that we catalyze congruence in meaning making so we knew that this was going to have to be co-created with the people, right? Um, and 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 this much like the Blair Witch Project, much like uh, uh, War of the Worlds with Orson Welles, like it's it's of the same ilk. Um, and and while we were sort of designing the campaign, and what I, what I really had to do to sort of sell in this idea to the team, particularly our creative partners and the client, was some theory. And it's from a gentleman named uh, named George Lowenstein. And he has this idea called the, the gap in knowledge theory. And the notion is this, that, um, that, that, that to not know is, is like cognitive deprivation, right? And it drives us to close the gap in knowledge. The not knowing goes, if someone's like, if, I, if you look over, you see everyone go into a thing, you go, what's happening over there? 
and you want to go check it out, right? The gap in knowledge drives us to allocate so much energy to close the gap because we hate not knowing. We'll watch a terrible movie to the end of it just to see how it ends because we want to see how this thing or, or what's really happening. We want to close, close the gap. And that was the theory that we used to justify the Cliff Paul campaign that we're going to close, uh, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to create a gap in knowledge and we're going to excite people to close the gap. So the first thing we did is we partnered with Deadspin and with Complex and we seeded this rumor, realizing that we're going after hardcore NBA fans, hardcore NBA fans. And this is the cultural production that they ingest. They, they read Deadspin. They, they read Complex. So let's be there. So we partnered with these, with these guys. Um, and we, just had him write an article, a, a simple article. Do you ever notice that there's a guy walking around LA who looks like Chris Paul? They're definitely not the same person because one's on the court and one's in LA while they're playing, while he's playing. Who is this guy? Very benign, nothing. It definitely didn't get people talking. It was just laying the foundation. So we chose Christmas Day. This is the, the highest viewing season for the NBA to release an advertising, a, a, a film that spotlighted or showcased and archived this, this story, this, 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 this rumor that Chris Paul was separated from his brother, Cliff Paul. One went on to be a state farm agent. One went on to be a, an NBA player. Is it real? Now, of course, the logic of there is completely flawed. Of course, <laughs> like, why was Amy Paul if they were separated at birth, obviously? And Cliff Paul is not a real person, but we wanted to, we, we wanted people to believe it. So we want, we want to seed the doubt, right? To open the gaps, people will close the gap in knowledge. So we ran this ad on Christmas Day, the highest viewing uh, moment of, of the NBA. Um, and fortunately for, for us, when, when it ran, we had Chris Paul tweet at Cliff Paul, who's not a real person. So we opened up a, a Twitter handle for Cliff Paul. And Chris says something along the lines of, um, I, I knew something was missing in my life and I finally found it. My twin brother, it's, it's a Christmas miracle. And then Cliff responds to him. I can't believe it. I found my brother. What a great day. And what became really, really kind of cool to give this thing texture is that we tapped some of Chris Paul's people, his people that knew him, who were friends of him to be a part of the campaign. You're talking Drew Brees, Kenny, the jet Smith, his teammate, uh, Blake Griffin at the time, uh, Lala, right. Who's at the time, her husband played with him, uh, during the, the, the Olympic team, Carmelo Anthony to tweet things back to that tweet saying, it, man, couldn't happen to better people love these Paul brothers. So if you're an NBA fan, you're going, what, what's, what's happening? Is this thing real? This cannot be what's going on here. And the beautiful part about designing the campaign in this way is that we designed for cultural discourse. So me to say, I am a huge NBA fan, hardcore NBA fan. I see this ad. I see these things happening in my Twitter feed. I'm going to go reach out to Dan, who is also a hardcore NBA fan to say, Dan, you see this? Is this real? And the Dan goes, I, I don't know. Let me ask Ro. Ro would know he's a hardcore NBA fan. And now we are activating the network of hardcore NBA fans because we're all experiencing this gap in knowledge. And the discourse is driving us to close it. And what I thought was so powerful about the campaign is that on this day, on Christmas Day, when this thing launches and all these pieces are coming together to create this alchemy um, that, that, we, that, that we call the launch, 
uh, is that Chris Paul or Cliff Paul rather was trending over Merry Christmas on Christmas Day. I mean, more people were talking about Cliff Paul than saying Merry Christmas to each other on Christmas Day. Unbelievable. And then like number five on the trending list was uh, that CP3 ad. Crazy, right? So we're using the media that normally we would just sort of wrap it with our ad advertising about how great State Farm is, but we use the media as an invitation to invite hardcore NBA fans into and to catalyze discourse, not unlike we talked about with McDonald's when we did our, our, our QSR, our fast food uh, 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 pod about this being about the people, not about the brand, but about the people finding ways to invite and engage the people. This is exactly what State Farm did. So we launched this thing. It's going crazy, right? And we go, all right, so what's the next big media moment for the NBA? All-Star Weekend. Now, of course, Chris Paul will be at the All-Star game because he is an All-Star. So Cliff need to be there. And in between uh, Christmas Day and All-Star, we had them continue to tweet at each other, continue to talk to each other in the public, right? Taking what normally is private, making it public. He's not a real person. Remember that. Um, so <laughs> we get credentials for Cliff Paul to go to the All-Star game, right? He's rocking his 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 mnemonics, right? Mustache, glasses, Ar Argyle. And realizing the benefit of State Farm being the, you know, the biggest uh, sponsor of the NBA or one of the biggest sponsors for the NBA, we were able to do an in-game um, experience where we shot Chris Paul earlier in the day in his Cliff Paul gear in the stands. And we aired that footage during the live broadcast while Chris Paul is sitting on the sidelines. So if you're a hardcore NBA fan watching the All-Star Weekend, you're like, what in the world is going on here? Right? And the commentators think Reggie Miller is like, oh, there's Cliff Paul up there. What's up? Oh, they got the Paul brothers. There's Chris Paul there too. Oh my goodness, the Paul brothers are here. So you're like, what? What is going on? And, and the, anecdotally, it sounds compelling, right? But what, what really got me excited is the quantitative evidence in this, that if you Google search cliff, just, just the word cliff, which we know means an actual cliff, someone's name's a proper noun as well. The first thing that it auto-populate with is Paul. And then is he real? And we know that Google search is, it is a public progress bar of what people are searching for, right? It's a, it's a, a database of, of intent, right? And what we're seeing is that tons of people were, is this thing real? What's going on? Is this thing real? And we're like, okay, we're on to something here. And now this is you know, what, we, what, what we pitched, 70% of it, we actually did. So the idea was in the, the choreographies that after All-Star Game, we had to make sure this feels like an omnipresent thing. So if you didn't watch All-Star, which of course you did because you're a hardcore NBA fan, and you happen to have tickets to a Clippers game, when you went to your seats in the fishbowl of the arena, there were big fatheads there of Cliff Paul. And this before fatheads were a thing, by the way. I'm not taking credit for it, but you do the math. So we, <laughs> so we, we put big fatheads of Cliff Paul. Actually, hold up, Dan. Big fatheads of Cliff Paul 
right? We put in I love it in the arena, right? At at the um in in people's chairs, right? So when you went to your chair, you go, what what what's going on here? And of course, what did people do? They said, take a picture of me with the fat hand, right? Take a picture of me with the fat hand. And we see, so now people are becoming the vehicle for the marketing communications. That is the cultural discourse is now literally the billboard for the marketing communications. Amazing. And then for the people listening, Marcus did go and grab a fat head that he had from that campaign to show on camera. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I had the receipts. Got to have the receipts. You got to. This sticks out for so many reasons because it was so well thought out. Each piece of this, you have the social media component, you have the in-game component as well. You're able to get the broadcast in line. So again, it's leveraging the benefit of, no, this is not just multi-million dollar wallpaper. You are a partner to this league. Let's help you extend this partnership to be as ingratiated and as focused as it could be with all of the elements. And it was very timely with the way that social media was in the early 2010s. It could be a little bit harder to do something like that in the current landscape, at least in the same way, just because of how things have evolved. But it was so well-timed with that. And I have to imagine that State Farm, of course, impressed and happy with how it went. I'd be curious to hear what was the buy-in like for them with this? Because I imagine when you're presenting this broader campaign, they knew they had to do something, but it's so different from anything they had done before. So what was that conversation like to get them over that hurdle? Yeah, I would say that we were extremely fortunate to have just amazing clients. They really trusted us. And, and, and I give them credit because they knew what they did not know. They said, we don't know this space. Like we know insurance really well, but this space we don't know. They know media very well. But the idea of using people as media, that is the media of people, that was something they didn't really know uh, uh, all too well. And they trusted our, our understanding of, of media and they trusted our proximity to the space. Now, you know, we, we, had to, we, we had to convince them. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like we presented like, bet, let's buy it. But they were sort of in a bit of a, of a bind. They were in a corner. Because the money had already been allocated for the NBA and they weren't fully leveraging it, right? Um, so we had that benefit. We had the benefit of the magic jingle work working so well that they began to, to trust us. And the choreography was such that they could you know, re-up along the way. They can spend more along the way or they can sort of press, press pause if they needed to, it wasn't like you had to do everything that's on this menu to make it work. But we did tell them that the more pieces you have together, the more powerful it will become. You know, so we you know, tell them that when you, anytime you're doing anything with the NBA, especially after we started putting fat heads around the arena, we said, you know, you should do like provide more invitations for people to be a part of this. So every time State Farm showed up, there were always glasses and mustaches. And the cool part about it is that the commentators, the Reggie Millers of the world, like these guys will wear them on air. And it's, it's the coolest thing. So like if you're at the game, you see fat heads in the chairs. If you are watching on television, you see fat heads on screen. If you're watching ESPN, you see fat heads in the frame. If you're watching on television, you see the guys. It's 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 become sort of it, 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 the the. 
it's become so ingrained in the experience that it's hard to separate one from the other. And the beautiful part about it all is that you can't talk about Cliff Paul without talking about State Farm. Like it, 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 there's no way that you could say Cliff Paul and not have the State Farm be a part of it because he is, at least in the framing of this fictional character, he is an all-star State Farm agent. And the cool thing about it, it, it is one of the main thing, I love this campaign so much. The cool thing about it is that people started to give it its own meaning. Like they're a part of becoming, they're, they're becoming a part of the meaning making process of the campaign. So we'd see tweets and we relied so much on tweets at the time because Twitter was just such a powerful platform um, at the time that people would say, you know, dishing out assists like my main man, Cliff Paul. I was like, what? Right. And one of my favorite tweets was um, uh, on the court, you have to assist like Chris, but off court, I assist like Cliff. Like they're writing copy for us. It's like seeing this thing happen. It's just, I've never experienced anything like that before. I don't think I've experienced anything like that since, because not only are we are uh, sharing the pen, right? Lot inviting people in, but they're actually writing the good stuff. We're like that's the thing. Even so much so that we end up partnering with Uncrate. This is later in the campaign that first year because we saw this thing taken off in in in, in the the cultural discourse that we partnered with Uncrate to do a curation of here's how you assist like Cliff. This is the gear that you draw that you wear, the Argyle, the whatever, the khakis, um, when you're off the court. And here's how you assist like Chris. Here's all the gear you need when you play on the court. Uncrate being a fashion, uh, a fashion blog. And it's like this, it's it's the the, the volley, the 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 dialogue between us and representation of the brand and the cultural creators that are participating in this campaign, which is under it was otherworldly in the exchange that was happening. Like we were literally responding to them with new ideas and new thinking. Like someone, someone actually opened um a Yelp page for Cliff Paul. He's not a real person, Dan, but they wrote a, a, a Yelp page for him. And, and, and what we just found was that inviting people to be a part of it made the campaign so much more powerful because of their contribution to it. They were integrating into the, the, the cultural zeitgeist. And while this is happening, we go, all right, what are the ways can we, can we sort of deepen this experience? Where we say, well, Chris Paul is a brand Jordan ambassador. Well, shouldn't Cliff be also? So we partnered with Brand Jordan to make a sneaker, which is actually sitting right up there on my camera, um, a Cliff Paul sneaker that you make do Nike ID, has all the Argyle, and it has a, an icon for Chris, for Cliff, glasses and mustache. And I keep doing that slip of calling Chris Cliff because along the campaign, we saw during a post commentary uh, uh, interview that Doc Rivers, the coach of the Clippers at the time where Chris Paul played in an interview, he goes, yeah, they had us on the ring, but you know, Cliff, uh, I mean, Chris, and we're like, what is happening here? Like the actual coach has a Freudian slip of the campaign. Like these things are just, you just, you cannot buy those things. We didn't engage Doc Rivers. You can't buy them, but they're happening. So we make the sneaker for Cliff Paul, uh, like Chris's sneaker, and we ask ourselves, well, well, what do what do hardcore NBA fans do when they're not playing, watching the game? Maybe they're playing basketball. Maybe they're discussing it. 
they're definitely paying 2K, 1,000% playing the, the game. So let's partner with 2K to make a cheat code for Cliff Paul. So we got Cliff Paul in the 2K game with a cheat code to be a part of it. And, and the alchemy of, of, of this, and this all in year one, by the way, Dan, this all year one, the alchemy of this campaign, it catapulted State Farm into the cultural zeitgeist in ways that it normally couldn't buy with just media. It was leveraging the power of culture that made it have a place that it could not pay for. In fact, I, I, I think of it this way, that the campaign gave State Farm a plus one as opposed to the sponsor of the thing. It's like we were invited to be a part of the cultural zeitgeist as opposed to buying our way into it. And I think that like that is just unbelievably powerful, especially for a non-sexy category like insurance. So you have these wonderful brand awareness aspects to the campaign, which really took off. You have these other aspects that you could never even buy if you wanted to. And that shows how strong the impact is, the awareness. So of course we have these elements. Was there anything on a quantitative basis too that connected with it to say, not only do we have these amazing placements that you couldn't even buy, but we also have this that shows you the ROI before and after Chris and Cliff Paul. So our campaign was based on theory. And the theory was this, if recall is the biggest driver for uh, auto insurance acquisitions and retention, if that's the biggest driver, then we're going to use culture as a driver of recall. So instead of using lots of ads, like market communications, using impressions to hopefully drive recall, we're going to use cultural discourse as the recall driver for us. That was the, the, the theory. And therefore, the more people talked about it in the cultural zeitgeist, we could say the attribution is more people talk about the cultural zeitgeist. That's the, the media recall in people's minds. And then therefore any bump in sales would be attributed to it. So when we saw the, uh, the numbers from state farm, I think everyone blew their top and it's wild because they showed us a graph of what they expected growth to be of, or what they call uh, a reduction in lapse can lapse policies or canceled policies and hopefully an increase in acquisitions of policies. What they showed us was a pink line, a pink graph that was had like a, an oval. So over time, a gradual parabolic uh, uh, phenomenon that over time, slowly, 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 we get some acquisition over, over that year. And I think that State Farm uh, allocated maybe like 70%, 60% of their media spend to the Cliff Paul campaign during the run. It was hockey stick growth. The actual actual line was literally a, a, a hockey stick. It was just like it, it was a an, a, an a, acute angle, <laughs> right? It was un or obtuse angle. If you look at it this way, obtuse angle. Unbelievable. What 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 happened? And State Farm goes, yes, thank you, more please. <laughs> yes, thank you, more please. And Cliff Paul became sort of enshrined into. Uh, State Farm's market communication, so much so that you fast forward literally uh, almost 12 years later, Chris Paul is still a part of, of, of the, the, the arsenal in State Farm's marketing communication. And for the first time, we gave State Farm a quote unquote face 
a mascot, if you will. So you got the the gecko over here. You got the Aflac duck. You got um, the guy from Wayne Next Hill who does all state. You got Dennis Haysburg. <laughs> Dennis Haysburg. Then you go. <laughs> Shout out to Dennis Haysburg. You you got uh, mayhem. You know all. You got flow and and for progressive. And we gave something human for State Farm beyond just the agents to help anthropomorphize the brand in a very culturally relevant way, particularly for hardcore NBA fans. And it made that investment from State Farm, that NBA investment from State Farm work harder than it's ever, ever had. And that partnership to be greater uh, than it had ever been. So much so uh, that I remember the trades referred to this as uh, the apex, the, the gold standard for any brand trying to engage a sports league or a sports franchise uh, because what State Farm had done, what we had done with State Farm was really create uh, sort of the, 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 the proxy of greatness because of our ability to find a very, uh, a very authentic uh, place where the brand had licensed to be a part of, of the league and actually contribute to the league, not just sort of borrow its equity, but actually be in dialogue with the league and its fans in a meaningful way. Do you feel like the Chris Cliff Paul campaign went on too long or overstayed its welcome? Yes, I do. And we knew it. They kind of knew it. And it's almost like, it's like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, if you're the Neptunes, when do you change your sound? You know, people love the Neptune sound. They love the Neptune drums. They don't let the Neptune sort of sonic aesthetic. And like, do you milk it and you keep milking it until it's too late? Or do you do the Jerry Seinfeld and you kind of bow out before, you know, people are ready for you to go. And I think that Cliff Paul was so, was so financially uh, lucrative for the brain. It was hard to kind of get off the teat, if you will. So we did the first, the first chapter, which is that, that, that long, that big launch that we just sort of uh, went through. And then the next chapter was sort of the, the, it was the, how we got here. It was like the backstory. Right. It was, and the idea was that, you know, assisting had been a part of the Paul family for forever. Now you go, oh man, now you kind of broke the fourth wall. Like it's no longer is this real. Like you're actually showing me this isn't a real thing because you're going back in time. And it was like, all right, I kind of get it. And then the next go round was like, oh man, I think we ought to stop. And we did this thing called uh, the NBA, the National Bureau of Assisters. So the idea was that Cliff Paul was a part of a collective of different assisters, right? You had John Stockton, who, you know, from the Utah Jazz, master assister um, on, on the court. Um, you had Sue Bird. Um, you had Steph Curry, right? And the idea was that they were a part of this collective and they're here to assist you. And then I was like, okay, this is it, guys. We're, we're done. I think we're done. I think the next iteration was probably another another iteration of the National Bureau of Assisters. I was I left translation after that time, not because of that, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't because of that. But I my, the last thing I touched at State Farm was the National Bureau of Assisters. And I knew that we had jumped the shark. I think we did one more iteration of that. And then came the Hoopers. And now it was like a family of of, of basketball players who were or, or a family of of people that were made up of basketball players. You had like, I think you had Chris Paul again. You had um, uh, 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 the the beard, uh, Harden. 
James Harden, like other folks. And now it's sort of like a sitcom. And it was like, oh man, we got to stop this. And the Hoopers did, I think they did, they did maybe two or three sort of iterations of that. And then they cut the whole thing all together and just started using Chris Paul as Chris Paul and really doubled down on Jake, which is the campaign running right now. It's sort of Jake from State Farm is their version of flow. It is their gecko. It is this sort of spokesperson. And it's a consistent person, not the original person from the ads. It's a consistent person. Um, and he becomes sort of the the magical agent, if you will, that's engaging with the world on behalf of, of State Farm. But I think that the Cliff Paul campaign and and all its sort of tangential associations, that being the Hoopers, as well as the National Bureau of Assisters, probably went too far. It's an interesting distinction between the Chris Paul, Cliff Paul, and Jake from State Farm, because as I'm thinking about it, I could be off in recollection, but I feel like I've definitely seen more Jake from State Farm related ads over the years than I've seen Chris Paul, Cliff Paul over the years. But they're still leaning heavily on Jake from State Farm. But do you think that's overstated its welcome? Or do you think there's a different aspect to how we've been able to see that brand live on? I don't think so. I think that the Jake from State Farm is working with a different, a different cognitive mechanism. Cliff Paul was designed to play at people's gap in knowledge. And when the gap in knowledge is closed, it's really nothing there, right? There's nothing that you can't continue to gag. And I think using, in my mind, you know, my contribution to the campaign was very much built off of the, the, the sort of mechanisms, the machinations of the Blair Witch campaign. Right? When Blair Witch launched, people thought it was real. They went to the movies and they talked about it. And that the the discourse piqued the interest of other people to go see the movie to see if it was real also. But when the second Blair Witch project came out, when the sequel came out, you're like, oh, we did this already. Like it's like you can't, you know, you can't redo that because the gap in knowledge is closed. So I think that mechanism uh sort of exhausted itself, which is why those other iterations, those other builds on 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 Cliff Paul. And all its and all its tangential pieces was was probably doing too much. Now, Jake, on the other hand, the cognitive mechanism here is really just a distinctive asset to help drive recall, to help drive distinctiveness or distinguish the brand from all the other players in the space. So using Jake, which we know isn't a real person, we're not using the same cognitive uh, uh, interventions or what we call cognitive manipulations. Uh, to drive people's interest. However, the, res- the the negative consequence of that is that the the Jake from State Farm ads are just ads, right? And some people may spoof it, but the level of engagement, the level of participation is nowhere like it was with, with, with Cliff Paul. And it wasn't designed to be either. And before we close things out here, I do want to talk about the Super Bowl because this has been one of the big showcases for State Farm and its various competitors and all brands trying to reach consumers that are willing to spend $7 million for a 30-second ad spot to get in there. But it was one of the recent years. I think this was for the Super Bowl that was in February 2023. It was in Phoenix, that stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play had the naming rights to the stadium. So it was the State Farm Stadium. And State Farm CMO had done an interview where she had spoken about the decision for State Farm not to do Super Bowl advertising 
that year because they felt that the naming rights that they had and the brand exposure they get from that was considerable. But I'm thinking about that now in relation to some of the conversation we've had here. And while that State Farm name is there and it's out there, part of the reason why insurance companies have been so inventive and so creative with their comedy or their humor-driven advertising is because this is a commodity product that could be hard for people to have a true distinction there. So what is your thought when you hear or see a strategy that's put out there that way where they're leaning more so onto the name, even though the name isn't tied in, at least in that advertising, with some of the more creative elements that we've talked about in this episode? I think it goes back to the difference between wrapping jumbotrons for media impressions or activating cultural discourse, right? As as a driver of, of recall, as a driver of relevance. And I think relying on your naming rights is just that. Hey, people are going to say our name a whole lot throughout the uh, throughout the the broadcast. We don't need an ad because we're like here at the State Farm Arena, here at the State Farm Center. Is it? You know, so you're like we don't need it. Well, that's if the strategy is dependent on recall from media. And while that's helpful, for sure, what we've seen to be most powerful is the recall that comes from the credence um, and authority from cultural discourse. I think State Farm missed out on that. And this is sort of why brands, you know, they really do it to the nines during Super Bowl because it's the biggest viewing audience that we have in, in the country at any given time. Uh, concurrently watching a thing, uh, but also if done well, because we're watching things shoulder to shoulder, if done well, it's easy for me to use some of the vernacular from the marketing communication in my discourse because you know what I'm talking about. So if I crack a joke, leveraging something from the ad, you go, oh yeah, that was a good one, right? It, it becomes It becomes cultural currency between us, between our people. Which this goes back to the the differentiation between a Cliff Paul campaign and sort of everything else that State Farm had done at the time and going forward, that we rely on the media of people and all the credence that comes from that cultural discourse. And doing so uh, drives the marketing communication in places that money can't buy, right? A plus one will always have much more value than the sponsor of the thing. Having the one-two punch allows for fireworks and campfires. The fireworks that everyone can see that you know that, that gets people's attention, if you will, or at the very least, uh, get people's eyeballs, whether they're empty or not, um, but build campfires in all your marketing communications that bring people together. The combination of the two gives you awareness, um, but, and as well as connection, which I think is the most important part. Fireworks and campfires. I think that's a perfect note for us to end on. Marcus, this was dope. I appreciate you sharing, dropping insights. It's been a pleasure, man. <laughs> My pleasure. Can't wait for the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Send it to one or two people you think would really get value out of listening to this episode. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the show, that would be great. Rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Rate the podcast on Spotify. Rate the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps make sure that the word gets out about Trapital and what we're building here. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next time.